0: Hi, I'm Amanda McClooney. And I'm April Klimkevich, and this is Her Step Forward, where we share stories of women who step up, step out, and step forward into
1: careers and lives they love. Originally from South Florida, Jennifer Spieth earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in Criminology and Criminal Justice from the University of Maryland, and a Master of Science degree in Criminal Justice from Northeastern University in Boston. A police officer since 2003, her previous assignments have included patrol, K9, and the police academy. Jen currently works on the crisis intervention team with the severely mentally ill population in an effort to ensure the requests for service from this population go to a unit trained in this area. Corporal Spieth is an adjunct police academy instructor and regularly teaches courses in mental health throughout the metropolitan DC area. She also loves to travel with her husband and three-year-old daughter. Welcome, Jen. Hello. Hi. We're so glad you're here today.
2: Thanks for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. So to start off, I'm going to go backwards in time (laughs) and think about when we were in high school together and you were obsessed with the (laughs) X-Files. And (laughs) you ended up pursuing a master's degree and attaining it in criminal justice So can you tell us about how you got interested in being a police officer?
2: Yeah, I guess it all does go back to the (laughs) X-Files. My parents were not and are not in law enforcement. And so I did not have any family members to to learn that trade from. And so I was interested in it. I thought, you know, they were two FBI agents kind of investigating the paranormal, which I knew wasn't a real unit, but I just thought the FBI sounded like a really interesting job. So that's what got me interested in that line of work. And I had every intention of becoming a federal agent throughout school. And actually, while I was working on my master's degree, I was applying for federal agencies. It just didn't work out that way. Most federal agencies don't want to hire a 22-year-old kid right out of college. They want someone with some life experience and some work experience. So although I interviewed probably at about half a dozen different federal agencies, I did finally get a job offer from them. But in the meantime, I had applied to the police department. I started out as a dispatcher and really liked it, but I wanted to be on the other side of the radio. I wanted to be having the fun and getting into all the excitement. So when the application process opened up for the police department, I applied and got accepted and I went through the whole police academy, which was seven months. And I was about three weeks out on my own, uh, graduated as a as a full police officer, when I did get a, a job acceptance from one of those federal agencies. And I remember being very torn, thinking, like, should I take it, should I not? And I remember speaking to the recruiter on the phone and saying, you know, I just graduated from the police academy, and I'm having so much fun, and I'm really liking my job. And he said go be a cop. He goes, I used to be a cop. I miss being a cop. It's a lot of fun. Like go have fun. Wow. I never, I never did become a federal agent. And like I said, I never meant to stay. I only meant to be a police officer for a handful of years, but I have been there 16 years now.
1: That's so awesome. And for me, I think being a person who doesn't know anything about being an officer, I'm like, it's so weird to hear you say like how fun it is, because I guess in my mind I would paint a picture of it being like scary and seeing a lot of crazy stuff as well. So <laughs> I'm glad that you think it's <laughs> fun.
2: <laughs> oh, it is a lot of fun. You do see a lot of a lot of interesting things and some really disturbing things, but it is a lot of fun. That's so cool.
1: So I think Also, another idea that that kind of stands out to me, of course, being on the outside and and looking in at at what you're doing with with your profession, I would say that there are probably not too many professions out there that are as male-dominated as the police force. So can you talk to us about what it's like being a woman in such a male-dominated culture?
2: Sure, absolutely. So when I was in the police academy, I was very nervous about what was it going to be like once I graduated, once I was out on the street? Was I going to be accepted by all the male police officers? Was I going to be accepted by the public? Like, would I have men deciding to fight me because, well, I'd rather fight that little female versus a male? So that was something that kind of gave me low-end anxiety. And what i realized was there's actually in my opinion being a, p- a female officer is a lot easier than being a male officer because in our society most men are still raised that like you don't hit a woman or that you respect a woman like you treat a woman like you would your mother so i'll have i've been on hundreds of calls where maybe a man is yelling at a male officer and the male officer might be saying, you know, sit down. And the guy says, you're not going to tell me what to do. And I'll just say, sir, sit down, please. And he'll be like, yes, ma'am. And he'll sit right down. <laughs> and, and I don't even need to raise my voice. So that's just one example. And then also, I only had, I, I can only think of uh, two officers that did not accept me. One just doesn't like women. Uh, actually, both of them just don't like women. But for the most part, 98% of the men on my department, they accept female officers just fine. If you can competently do your job, it doesn't matter if you're male or female or what your race or your sexual orientation is. So that was never a problem. My, my department is fairly large. There's almost 700 officers. And, uh, we're probably about 15 to 20% are female. And there isn't any different, you know, we don't have any way that you're treated differently because you're a female officer. That was a big relief for me. Yes. I will say the one exception to that though is that when I was in our canine unit, the canine unit is very much still a boys' club. Oh. And so that was very difficult. I really enjoyed it. I I had a I had a I was partnered with a dog and then the dog came home with me. But the majority of that unit did not care for me and treated me very differently there were two men who who did treat me fairly and treated me equally but the other 8 did not and it was very difficult and it was it was just a very stressful period of my career because i i enjoyed what i was doing and i enjoyed working with the dog and i loved the dog and i loved watching the dog's talents grow and then kind of our partnership grow but it was frustrating where I would come to training where the whole unit would be together. And my dog, which was young, she and I were young together, we could do things as a team that other more senior teams mm-hmm. couldn't do. And they were male teams. And I felt like instead of saying, hey, great job, you know, that's great that you could get your dog to do that, it was just they would just treat me worse. Yeah. So the harder I worked... It didn't matter. It actually made it worse for me. The better my dog did, the worse I was treated. So when I got the opportunity to leave, I left. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I stayed on the police department, but I got out of Mm canine because it was just, it was toxic and I felt like it was going to give me an ulcer in the long run.
0: Yeah. Were were you the only woman on canine at that within that year? I was.
2: Yeah. So there were two women before me, but they had since left. Hmm. Yeah, And they both told me very similar um, experiences as well. So it wasn't just me. Mm-hmm.
0: I can imagine how frustrating it would be to not be accepted by your coworkers, but
2: yet to be accepted by the public at large. Yeah, it, it, extremely frustrating, especially where... You know, I was on the police department for five years before I got into the canine unit and I had not had an experience like this before. And I worked hard. I actually didn't get in the first time I tried because we have an interview process and a physical test and I didn't pass the physical test. And so I worked hard for a year just getting stronger so I could pass it. And when I passed it, I thought it would be like, great job. And it was almost more like, like, oh, she passed. Like, we're going to have to let her in now.
1: Oh, that's so awful. I know, it's awful. And the fact that you, you know, really wanted the opportunity, you probably were, you know, loving your dog, I'm guessing, and then to to just feel like you weren't accepted is pretty frustrating.
2: Yes, it was very frustrating, especially, like I said, when... I would work very hard to make sure the dog learned how to do something because, you know, you have regular assessments and regular practice and, um, team training days where they would get the whole unit together and each handler and dog pail would go out and work on things. And, you know, you don't learn everything right away. So some things take like a year, or two years to really get proficient at. So I would practice every day on my own with the dog, especially the hardest things. I would practice every single day so that, maybe two weeks would go by and then we'd have another big team training day and people would notice a difference like, Oh, she has been working hard on her own where other people who didn't do any extra work with, with their dogs, you could see that they hadn't done any work because then like you could just tell that no progress had been made. So Mm
0: -hmm.
2: it was very frustrating. The only good thing about that was that when the dog retired, that's how I got the opportunity to leave was she, the dog had a medical issue and when they retired her from duty, I got to keep her. So, so that relationship continued. So I got out, but I got to keep the dog.
0: Yeah, perfect ending. <laughs> I'm so glad that experience was an outlier for you in your line of work. And that that's not typically... I mean, obviously, you wouldn't be there for as many years as you've been there if if that was your experience. And so I, I'm actually really heartened to know that in general that, you know, women are respected and accepted as much as men are. And you had mentioned like, you know, really, it doesn't matter. Ethnicity, other demographics don't come into play. People are treated as equals in general. And I think that that's important, although it is disheartening to hear about times when, you know, times when the world isn't as ideal as we wish it was. But as you're dealing with like really tough issues like this or people relapsing on drugs or having to be a first responder to dangerous situations. How do you find that calm place inside? How do you find the will to either, you know, how do you kind of separate work from what's going on at home? Or how do you find the, the strength to do what you need to
2: do? I think, well, you just said the main thing is separate. You have to be able to leave it at work. You have to be able to not bring it home all the time because that's when it starts to just eat at you. We tell these new police recruits uh, that, You know, this is fundamentally going to change who you are because you're going to be exposed to so many different things. You're going to see things that the general public doesn't see. You see a lot of good people, but you also see a lot of people on the worst day ever. Maybe it's the moment that they just found out a loved one died or they found a loved one dead or, you know, maybe a baby died or, you know, it was a car accident, drug overdose. They got arrested. Their kid got arrested. Just really, really terrible situations. And you see a lot of grief. Mm-hmm. and um, you're there for long periods of time while people are grieving and that's where it can really start to eat at you especially when you see it over and over for years at a time so you have to have a way to talk about it with other officers and you can't bottle it up inside but you also have to be able to leave it at work and not bring it home mm-hmm. and So we do have like a peer support network where we can speak to other officers about it. We always encourage people, hey, you know, if it's bothering you for, you know, more than two weeks at a time, you should really think about, you know, seeing a therapist or talking to somebody, you know, utilizing somebody in like a peer support network, just somebody who has been there, kind of been in the trenches too and has seen similar things, but talk about it, like get it off your chest. Mm-hmm. And then I also believe in just a lot of self-care, you know, like at whatever your interest is, whether it's working out or traveling or hunting or just reading, you have to make time to do something for yourself, to give yourself an outlet, you know, whether you crochet or whatever it is, go to the movies and just relax.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: have to, you have to get away from work.
0: hmm
2: and I'm also a big believer in you can't have all your friends be work friends. And um, police are actually kind of known for this, like police hang out with police. And uh, I see a lot of my coworkers do that. You know, they have shift parties or, you know, they go on vacation with all their police friends. And um, I have a lot of police friends, but I really don't hang out with them outside of work very rarely because I really need that separation. And I just, I like, I like spending time with other people too that are in other professions because police can end up having kind of a cynical worldview just from some of the things that we see. And I don't want that kind of view to taint my entire life
0: mm-hmm. so,
2: because there are a lot of just regular, normal, good people out there. And I want to spend time with them. You know, my, my mother Said, she said to me recently, she said, you know, you are, your sense of humor has changed since you became a police officer. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, you find things funny that aren't funny. And I said, oh, no, they're hilarious. You just don't see the humor in it <laughs> because <laughs> you have to be able to joke about it so, so your mind doesn't go crazy, so you don't explode, you know? Mm-hmm. So you end up seeing something in someone's house and go, you know, making some type of a joke or just kind of laughing you know, most of the public would just be horrified, but um that's how we cope. It is a coping mechanism.
0: Okay. So coping with humor so, and
2: Yes, it co- yes, yes, yeah. Police can't imagine. fire military. We, we we do. We all cope with humor.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that also you, you, one of the things you mentioned is that, you know, from time to time, you you guys encourage each other to invest in some, you know, mental health services as well. Because I know that's something April and I have talked about on other episodes, you know, because there is often a stigma. So I'm I'm actually happy that you pointed that out because, you know, in your line of work, I, I can't imagine the types of things that you must have to process every day.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, there is a huge stigma for mental health. And luckily that's changing and a lot of police officers, especially the younger ones, the newer ones, mm-hmm. are much more accepting. Because people talk about mental health now and mm-hmm. and especially when I give a couple examples and sometimes as simple as, hey, you know, I had two calls that night that were weird. And my husband's a police officer. So I came home and I'm lucky enough to be able to tell him about work stuff. And so I told him about one call and I didn't tell him about the other call because I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And I ended up going to bed and I had weird nightmares all night about that other call, the call that I didn't process. Mm -hmm. And in the morning, I kind of laughed it off. I said to him, you know, I had dreams all night about this woman because I didn't process it and I didn't, I didn't tell him. So when I tell people that example, I'll say sometimes something as simple as that might disturb your sleep for that night. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to have an outlet for that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's not weakness, it's how your brain heals and it's perfectly healthy.
1: I love that. So Jen, just changing gears a bit, I know in the bio, we mentioned that you and your husband travel all over the world and you bring your young daughter with you. How do you do it? How do you balance everything to to take a, a family on the road and travel the world?
2: Yes, so we do. We both love to travel. It's just a hobby of both of ours. And so when we decided to start a family, we said that's something that we don't want to stop doing. Both of us traveled when we were children. He traveled in the summers. His parents were teachers. So every summer they would just go camping. But he said they went somewhere different every year. And then I, I would travel in the summers as well, but my family lived more up and down the East Coast, so we were usually going somewhere different every summer, up and down the East Coast. And so it's kind of formed a big part of our childhood. We think it gave us some strengths that we wanted to pass on to our daughter. So we just continued with our travel plans. And so we normally take a big trip in the winter because it's generally the most affordable time for us. It's easiest for us to get vacation in the winter. Ticket prices are usually cheap in the winter because how many people want to take a vacation in the winter? (laughs) but, but, But you know what? But when tickets to Europe are a third of the price that they are in the summer, I can take three trips for the price of one. So that's what we did. So we took our first trip with her when she was four months old overseas. And we've just figured out that when you're traveling with kids, you just have to adapt a little bit. So instead of packing 10 things into a day... We'll just say, okay, here's the two things that we want to see today. And anything extra is just bonus. And that way we're not disappointed if we don't hit all 10 things. We're perfectly satisfied if we just saw the two things. And then we're usually happy because we saw more than that. Like, oh, well, this was also on our list for later the week. And look at that. We already did it. We already saw it. And I would say just being flexible too. We we travel, we live pretty, I would say we live pretty frugally. Or just very conservatively. So we just set money aside all the time for travel so that when we go, you know, we're not staying in $5,000 a night hotels. Like we, we even travel conservatively. So we're not spending a ton of money. We, you know, we might eat a larger breakfast and then skip lunch and then have a regular dinner, but we just bring her with us. And I'll have a lot of people say, Oh, I can't travel with my kids. They're terrible travelers. Well, kids learn to travel by traveling. So kids, kids adapt to whatever you throw at them. So if that's your excuse for, well, I can't do this because my kids are horrible at it. Well, it's because you need to expose them to it. They'll get better at it. They just need the experience just like we do at everything. Mm
0: -hmm. And you've had the ability to really see so many different places. And your daughter has had the ability to do that as well from such a young age. So I think you definitely are able to instill those things that you want to instill and that idea of flexibility that you and your husband are able to have and kind of go with the flow. And I've, I remember you've told me like sometimes, well, it was raining all day. So plans changed while we were on vacation, but then the next day was beautiful. So we got to do a whole bunch of other stuff that we, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I think that flexibility is very cool. And I think that, like you said, like kids learn what they're exposed to. So her being exposed to that flexibility, she's going to be able to roll with life and be able to say, oh, well, you know, this this happened. It wasn't according to plan, but, you know, you just roll with it. That's what you do. So that's, that's a huge lesson. I, I love that.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, in the end, I mean, we do travel because we like to travel, but, you know, I also am trying to prepare her for adulthood. And that is exactly, that's a perfect life lesson that, hey, you need to be flexible. Things don't always go according to plan. And I'm still learning that too. I still have days where I have trouble with that. So it's good for all of us.
0: Mhm mhm kind of speaking of things that we're practicing or learning about ourselves is there anything about yourself where you've discovered or realized you have strength in a certain area that came as kind
2: of a surprise to you i would say i have found out that i'm a pretty good teacher and I was not expecting that. I was assigned to the police academy for a short time, it, about a year. It was a temporary assignment and I would, I would actually love to go back down there. But in my position now, I've become a trainer. And so I, I go down to the police academy and I teach certain courses there and I really enjoy it. And I always get good feedback from it because I think I don't always stick to the PowerPoint, which can be kind of boring. I think people learn best when you give them personal examples and if you're not afraid to give examples of mistakes. Mm -hmm. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is where people won't tell someone a mistake they made. I said, well, how is somebody else supposed to learn? Tell them what you messed up so they don't do it or say, hey, if you do it that way, here's what's going to happen because it happened to me (laughs) and I'm trying to save you the heartache or the paperwork. So. That has surprised me. And so I'm thinking about that as a second career when I retire. You know, would I be interested in, in teaching? Whether teaching law enforcement or not, it's definitely an interest.
1: It's so cool. You get an opportunity to um, share what you know with people because you're right. It is about telling them, here's what I've learned. Maybe don't do it this way. Here's, here's a better approach to doing it because it's not always about learning from a textbook. Mm-hmm, Exactly. Well, Jen, wrapping up uh, our conversation today, our last question, I'd like to know, what's your best piece of advice for women who are looking to take their next step forward?
2: I would say everyone has innate talents. You know, everyone has natural tendencies towards things, whether you you could be a mechanically minded person. You know, you could be someone that is just very good with the English language or or foreign language or something. So I'd say just try to take stock in what are your natural talents and then follow your interests. Because if you're just doing a job because you have to do a job, you're not going to be happy. And so if you follow your interests, if you can be happy and make a living at the same time, and then just drawing on my canine experience, just work hard despite what other people say about you and how other people treat you because you'll have that satisfaction of knowing you know I did the best I could and I worked hard and I earned that spot there whether they wanted me or not I earned it and I deserve to be there
0: yeah I think that's awesome advice and I think you have worked really hard and you have earned the joys of being able to travel and and being able to watch your daughter grow. And I think that's really beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, with that, we want to say thank you to everybody for joining us today. And Jennifer, thank you so much for spending the time with us so that you could share your story. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. This was fun. Our pleasure. As always, we're looking forward to sharing more stories soon. In the meantime, check out our website at herstepforward.com or follow us on Instagram at herstepforward for all the latest updates. If you'd like to reach out to us, shoot us a message on Instagram or email us at info at herstepforward.com. See you next time.